Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Lightning fans, you found the right show for everything you need to know about your favorite team in the NHL. It's the Lightning Insider Podcast with Eric Erlinson. Get ready for insight, historical perspective, interviews, and breaking news that comes from a reporter insider who's got near 20 years on the Tampa Bay Lightning beat. Now for the latest with the Lightning, here's Eric. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the LightningInsider.com podcast. I am Eric Ellenson from LightningInsider.com, also the author of Lightning Strikes, the 2020 unbelievable run to the 2020, I already said that, Stanley Cup Championship. So check that out at local booksellers or email me, Eric, at LightningInsider.com if you would like details on how to get a signed copy of the book that I can send your way. Got a few topics we want to hit with you this week. Uh, on Braden Point, a top three player in the league, maybe Victor Hedman. We'll talk a little bit about that. We'll listen in or we'll, we'll talk about um, the fact that the Lightning have utilized a different formation the last couple of games and found success with it, as we have seen before. Uh, and whoever, uh, who knows else, else might come up as I now bring in my good friend from Lightning Power Play, as well as the pregame and postgame and intermission host for Lightning Radio, Mr. Greg Linelli. Greg, how are you? I'm doing well, E. It's been a fun week for the Lightning and picking up points, which is great. And um, playing very well. You know, I, I think it's beating a team like Detroit like they did. I think those are the wins that you look back on and you say, we had to take care of business and they've got seven more against them. And you'd like to see them sweep the whole seven because I know Detroit's missing some players, but boy, do they stink. Yeah, it's going to feel like any points lost to the Red Wings this year uh, are going to be wasted points in a lot of ways. And and I hate that, saying that. I, I hate saying too. that, you know, because they're professionals and I know they, they've been hit with injuries and it's really hard to beat a team 8-0 yeah. in the regular season. But then again, if you take a look at Tampa Bay's record against Detroit over the years, uh, they can probably do it. Yeah, you know, I was on with um, Steve Coolius the other day on uh, Sirius XM power play at three o'clock and he asked me the question is it almost like a, a scrimmage game for the lightning to just try and work on things when they're facing the red ring i mean that's a national guy saying those type of comments that's kind of where the red wings are such a proud organization you know now you're getting comments like that when a team like tampa bay can just kind of toy with them for the opening five minutes before the red wings wake up and find their skates a little bit but by then it's it's too late but you know, it almost felt like in some ways that first game against Detroit, not a scrimmage game, but an exhibition game at some point, you know, I mean, Calfoot ends up with 12, 13 minutes. It's an opportunity to get him some ice time and some looks and some reads in a game like that. And, you know, you look at the ice time, Victor Hedman was the only guy over 20 minutes in ice time that game. I mean, that's, you need, if you're the lightning, you need some games like that where you can curtail some of the ice time from some of your top guys. And at the same time, give Calfoot an opportunity to get those reads and just kind of balance things out a little bit. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's going to be a tough year in what used to be called title town, which I think might be the moniker here in Tampa here soon. 
got to be honest with you, it's it's a little puzzling in a salary cap era where there's a ton of parity to have a team that's that's that that's bad over the last few years. And Detroit, it's one thing to say you have to rebuild. It's another thing to execute on the rebuild. And they're hoping, I think, their last couple of years where they've had higher draft picks that that expedites the process in terms of them being competitive. But you look at some of their first-round picks over the last few years, nice players but not great players, and that really does separate the great teams from the average to really bad teams, I think. You look at the Lightning, and you know, you're not always going to hit on your first-round picks. But when you do, you got to nail them. And Stamkos and Hedman come to mind, and you know Vasilevsky was a, a later first-round pick, but those guys are Hall of Famers. You know, Detroit, you're, you're talking about guys who are nice players, but nothing close to that. So... It'll be interesting to see how the rebuilding process goes for Detroit. I know they wanted to bring over Al Murray, you know, when when Steve Eisman took the job. And he's a guy that always found talent in the later rounds. And not to say that Steve Eisman can't. I'm just surprised, at least right now, the roster they have and what we saw the other night. I'm surprised that's what Detroit has to offer at this point in the process. Yeah, you know, I... You know, Jimmy Debolano is um, uh, an exec of the Red Wings. He was a you know, general manager, assistant general manager for those Islanders teams that were a dynasty. And, you know, I get to have conversations or at least used to when we were in normal times with him. And, you know, the thing he'd always talk about is, you know, they like look at the look at the year they had last year. I mean, they that's historically bad, especially when it's in the cap time. They don't even land a top three pick because they don't even they don't win any of the lottery positions. You know, so they end up picking fourth instead of first, second, or third. Uh, so they don't land that sort of franchise-type player. I'm not saying Connor McDavid or Austin Matthews-type talent, but you don't land one of those cornerstone, cornerstone guys to build your franchise around. You know, Philip Sedina, good player. Is he going to be a all-star in this league? Eh, maybe. You know, they got Mo Sider, who they drafted, you know, the previous year, the defenseman out of Germany. He's not quite at the NHL level yet. He's playing for their minor league team. So they haven't had the opportunity to draft those type of players like a headman, like a Stamkos that you can build your franchise around nice players, but not elite players. And the closest player they have to elite is Dylan Larkin and he can't do it by himself. And when that happens, this is what you get. And maybe Detroit is, is paying for all those years of success where they 24 straight years, they were in the playoffs. They won a number of cups, you know, between the late nineties and the early two thousands, uh, late two thousands. Uh, now I just think that this is the payoff. They they traded all those draft picks away. Once Zetterberg and Datsuk were out the door, you had nobody to replace them, and that's the cycle stopped there. Yeah, I um, it maybe it's it's just it's too tough to continue that winning streak after, as you said, e twenty four years and twenty four straight years of making the playoffs. That eventually it's going to catch up with you. And you know, to be honest with you, to be fair to Detroit, that might be the case. It's just, it's surprising that it's it's kind of gotten to this point where the talent pool, at least at the NHL level, isn't, is dried up. You know, you have a few players who can be competitive, but I've got to think Steve Eisman, they have a plan, probably focusing a little bit more on speed than girth. And I think they're hoping, like I said, the last couple of draft picks where they've drafted higher expedites them being a little bit more competitive but you know going back to the lightning they have found talent in later rounds but you know to win in this division and to make the playoffs 
you got to take advantage of Detroit. And whether that's going eight and zero, six and two, seven and one, whatever it is, pick up as many points as you can because I think you and I were looking at the schedule. It's a pretty tough schedule, and it's a pretty tough division. I think it's aiming up to be a pretty tough division where, as John Cooper said, a couple of teams who are good aren't going to make the playoffs. But I, I didn't think it was going to be this competitive this early, and uh, maybe we're starting to see some interesting trends develop here with teams like Florida and Columbus who were who were picking it up a bit. Yeah, Florida to me was the wild card in this division because we keep waiting for them to take that step, right? Like to be, to finally join a, a group of competitive teams that can be there consistently year after year. Now, they probably stunted themselves a little bit with, you know, letting go of Dale Talon and then firing Gerard Gallant the way they did and sort of relying solely on analytics. And then Talon comes back and, you know, you can say maybe he sort of put them on the right path. And then you look at the Bobrovsky contract and go, wow, that's going to be painful down the road. But they're finally sort of taking that step. They made some savvy moves. Carter Verhage, <laughs> Lightning fans are cursing right now hearing that name. He's had a great start for them. He had uh, five goals in the first seven games for them. He was a seven or eight points, um, you know, through that time frame, playing top line minutes for them. So they, they're time, kind of taking that step. Uh, hopefully, or from a competitive standpoint, if you want to talk about trying to build any sort of a rivalry between Tampa Bay and Florida, you need them to be a competitive team. Uh, hopefully, they're on that path right now. Uh, Carolina's a tough team. Uh, we saw that the other night in that one nothing game. They took a blow to their lineup when Peter Morazic went down with the injury. Uh, Dallas has gotten off to a great start. Columbus, I think, has exceeded some expectations, at least in the early going. And now you add in a Roslovic and a Patrick Line now into their lineup. That's going to provide some offense that they were in desperate need of getting. Uh, it is. It's going to be a, a tough division. It's a lot more competitive, I think, than we would have thought. I thought there was a top tier and then a lower tier and kind of nothing in the middle. It looks like you're going to have about five, five or six potentially teams sort of in that middle area. And then that brings up a tough stretch for Tampa Bay coming up because once they get past Detroit and they get a couple of games in Nashville, and Nashville's not a pushover. I know the Lightning beat them in, in, in two games in Amelie Arena. Uh, but those back-to-back -back games in Nashville uh, after the Super Bowl are going to be tough. But then the stretch comes. You have three straight games against Florida on the 11th, the 13th, and the 15th. You have two games against Dallas, the 18th and the 20th, three against Carolina, the 22nd, 24th, and 25th, and then two more against Dallas on the 27th and then into March 1st before you get a little bit of a break and you get three straight against Chicago. So there's a, a tough, very tough stretch of 10 games coming up once you get past Detroit and Nashville. So uh, to that point, E, we're assuming these games are going to be played, all of them. I mean, I, I said at the beginning of the season, and once these cancellations started to hit, I didn't think they were going to get to 56 games. And we're seeing a release just a little bit ago that now the NHL is postponing Colorado's games till February 11th. And I get it. They, they want to take, you know, proper protocol, and that's understandable. But the reality is, I, I think it's going to be tough to get these games in. So to talk about the Detroits and the games initially, in your, you got to win these games. Win as many games as you, poss as you possibly can early on, because I don't know if those 56 games are going to be there towards the end of the year. I know they gave themselves a little bit of a cushion. You and I have talked about it on this show. The way these games are being canceled, and it's widespread right now. In fact, the NHL is trying to put in protocols now to minimize the exposure to the virus, which 
I'm not sure is really going to work. And I understand what they're trying to, they're doing everything they can do outside of not, uh, shutting down the season to make sure this thing doesn't get out of control. But as I've said to you before, on or off the air, I mean, the way I can describe it accurately is I, I think this virus is going to virus. And I, you know, I, there are certain safety measures you can put in place. Probably the greatest safety measure you can put in place is shutting down the season. And I don't think they wanted to do that. And I don't blame them. And so I think these are the consequences of dealing with human beings playing up close with one another in an arena. And you're going to have outbreaks. Now, we don't know if these players, you know, have the symptoms per se. I mean, sometimes that's not revealed and, and the players you know, won't let us know or the, the organizations won't let us know. But, you know, kind of wrapping this this up a little bit, the point I'm trying to make is I don't think they're going to get to 56 games. So the games you have in front of you when you do play, it's almost like there's more importance to for Friday's game, for instance, beating Detroit. And then the next game after that. And then if you deal with big lulls in the schedule because of cancellations regarding the the outbreak with COVID, but then at least you can look at yourself and say, you know, we got off to a pretty good start. And if we end up playing only 48 games, at least our points percentage is going to be pretty damn good because we took care of business when we had to. So I think actually more pressure on these teams to really fight and get these points, especially in regulation, E, when the schedule, I think, remains such an uncertainty moving forward. I agree to that, but but I do think I think they're going to get to 56 games. It's going to be an uphill climb, and there'll be questions along the way. Uh, I think, you know, you look at the situation with New Jersey and Buffalo. I, I think that's a little bit of a concern, just in the aspect like there's no evidence that it jumped from Jersey to Buffalo, but there's strong suggestions that it could have. Um, you know, because New Jersey already had a couple of players on that COVID list. Mm -hmm. uh, the morning of the second game, Kyle Palmieri was put on that list, but the game still went on. Uh, and all of a sudden, two days later, you had a couple of Buffalo's players. I think they're up to four players on that list. Now, New Jersey had as many as 17, I think, at one point. Now, not all of them, uh, you know, a couple of them were quarantine issues, including Aaron Dell, the goaltender. Yeah. Traded from Toronto, so he had to go into quarantine. So he's on that list for that reason. So we don't know how many of them actually tested for, for uh, tested positive or not. We know there were some, uh, but here's here's the interesting thing about that. Like Gary Bettman came out when they announced these sort of new protocols that they've adopted here, uh, including taking the glass behind the bench and a couple of other uh, elements. But you know, of the almost 100 players that have had their name on the list so far, fewer than half have done so because of confirmed positive tests. I'm yeah. not sure how to interpret that because I look at Curtis McElhaney's situation. Now, Curtis McElhaney did not come out and reveal, did not want to discuss the reason why he was on the list, but he did talk about isolation and, and being in this room. So he could have tested positive. He could have had a family member test positive. We don't know. There was some sort of close contact, if nothing else, uh, in that instance. Sure. So it could have been that. Uh, but the concerning one for me is, did it jump from Jersey to Buffalo? If that did, then they're going to have to take more strict measures. But I think at the end of the day, they are going to push through this. I think they are going to get to 56 games. Because if you look at Detroit, Detroit went through this. They, they believe that they might have actually gotten it from Carolina. And they had, I think, at one point, five players on the list. But then it got to nobody else. 
And we saw, I think, three of the players come off the list before the game on Wednesday. Philip Zadina was on that list. He was the last one to come off the list. He's ready to come back, so it didn't have an outbreak with them. So there's a, a, a tale of two teams there where Jersey couldn't get it under control, but Detroit did. Well, let's think about this logically. We've heard from experts in the medical field, you know, socially distancing, wearing masks. Well, these players aren't doing that when they play. Sure. Rightfully so. <laughs> They're playing a game. It's a, it's a full contact sport. You're not going to wear masks. I don't think you're going to ask the athletes to wear masks. In fact, remember you and I talked about this yeah, during yeah. the pandemic. We're like, do you think they'd actually make them wear masks? How uncomfortable or that shields. would be. I, but I guess my question would be, what do you think was going to happen? I mean, you're telling us in everyday life to distance yourself and wear masks. And then you tell these athletes you're going to be playing close contact sports. I, I'm not saying it's the wrong decision to play. We're all thankful they are. No doubt about it. I think the players wanted to play. But you had to have anticipated that some teams – we're possibly going to maybe if they had guys who had COVID, we're going to give it to the team they were playing at some point. It, it shouldn't be a surprise and a shock. And with that being said, take the precautions, but there's only so much you can do if you're allowing players to go against one another on the ice. And so I think we're going to continue to see this throughout the year. So the question just becomes, how many games do you think is enough to consider this a legitimate season and call the regular season before you head into the playoffs? You have confidence there. Well, I, I shouldn't put words in your mouth. So you think they're going to get to 56. I, think I don't think so. I, and, then, and, and I think that's fine that you and I disagree on that. I'm just saying, what's going to be that number if they don't get to 56 that A, they, they deem acceptable, and B the teams that are on the outside looking in, are they just going to go based off points percentage? Because the other side of that is, what if you have a team that's just, they can't get to 50 games. They can't get to 40 games because all these games are postponed. I mean, it, it could happen. It, it could it happen. Could. It so could. what do you do but in those instances? I, I will say this. I don't think you're going to have a situation where Dallas has to cancel games unless it's because of another team because they already had 17 players test positive. Right. We know that you're, it's not 100 percent immunity, but your uh, chances of gaining the virus again over the next three months is almost nil. It's not zero, but it's almost nil. It's low. So they're not going to have a problem with it. New Jersey, once they get past this, they're not going to have a problem. It, it's just if you can get it under some semblance of control and maybe these measures work, maybe they don't. Um, you know, it's, they, we're still learning stuff about this virus here 11 months later still, you know, and then the variations and the mutations that have come on. Um, you know, I, I think that the, the teams that, have, that are having the major outbreaks now, Minnesota looks like they might be the next, um, you know, you're going to shut them down for seven days. I mean, Carolina was shut down for what, eight days and they came back yeah. and they're playing. So if, if that's the worst case scenario that teams have to shut down for eight days, that's why I think that they can get a 56 game schedule and I'm confident they can do it. And it's going to take a lot of logistical work. There's no doubt about it. You might have to, you know, build in an extra week into the schedule. Uh, you're going to, but even if you can't get the 56, I think you have to have every team get to a set number. I don't think you can have one team only playing 40 games and another team playing 48. I don't think you can go. And maybe 40 was. 
Yeah, maybe maybe 40 was a bit extreme, but let's say it's 45, let's say it's 46. Yeah, I, your point, I, think, let's say it's I think you can still find a way to get every team to the same number of games. And I got to be honest with you if, you, if you still wanted to play a play-in game like they did last year, I'd, I'd be okay with that. You know, if a team gets the 50 points or 50 games and they're on the outside looking in, but it's only because of, uh, of a couple of points, I'm okay if you make certain concessions to see if they get in without hurting the integrity of the top four teams that, let's say, played 56 games. I'm okay with that. I, I kind of look at this year like I did last. I mean, I just think it's going to be weird, and I'm not going to look at who wins the Stanley Cup and say, yeah, they did it during a year where you know, some teams only played 52. No, I, I mean, this counts, just like last year counts. Yeah. And this is all trying to get to next year and play a full 82-game season. So I, I understand all of that. I, I'm just curious how this is all going to play out when you see multiple cancellations. I, I don't think Gary Bettman is looking at this in any way and saying, we're going to cancel the season. Yeah. I mean, I just don't see that happening. I, I don't think they're rattled necessarily by all of these games being canceled. I think probably people in the media are making a bigger deal about it. I mean, I think, I think, Gary Bettman's smart enough to understand, E, that this stuff could have happened and sure. was going to happen. They didn't go in this with blind eyes. They, they, I mean, you, you had to. I, I just think how much flexibility will they have if 56 games isn't attainable? And I guess my, my answer to that question probably would be pretty flexible. Don't be left out. Make sure you subscribe to the Lightning Insider on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else where podcasts are found. Now, here again is Eric. And that's where I think, you know, one of the parts of the protocols uh, in place today, they're trying to limit the players' time in the building. Uh, there was some pushback on that, so they're going to allow them in. It, it was supposed to be about an hour and 45 minutes. Hour and 45 early minutes, early except for players that needed treatment, I think. They were yeah, so they, they, they've already laxed on that, and, that, and that's fine. But it's it's the meetings. It's the amount of time guys are going to spend in a confined area together, I think, that they're limiting. So they're trying to make sure all these meetings are basically done virtually uh, in some capacity. They're trying to space out guys in the locker rooms to allow extra space. I think that's the one way you have to do it. Because if we look at what happened in the NFL, and I think to the New Orleans Saints and the Denver Broncos, the Saints basically had to shut down their entire running back core. The rest of the team was fine but it was the running backs because they were in area together. And then Denver had to play that game with no quarterbacks because all their quarterbacks were putting yeah. the ball. You know, so if you can, if you can mitigate that way and, and separate right. as much as possible so there's not extended periods of post-contact, that's where, okay, you, you're not going to keep it out. We knew that and we know that, but you can stop it from spreading. And that's what this whole thing is about is to stop a breakout. Unfortunately, They've had a couple already that has made plenty of people. But I, I guess what I'm saying to you is to, to stop that breakout, it's a contradiction to have the guys be playing for two and a half hours. You know what I mean? Like, I understand it. Yeah. They're yeah. doing everything, but it's almost a moot point. You're doing everything you can off the ice, but once the games go on, you have everybody to in a confined space because that's how the game's played. And so yeah. to me, it's almost for naught so to speak. You're doing everything you can up to the game time. But then once the game happens, everything you've done up to that point, I think goes out the window. And again, I'm not, I'm not pointing fingers. I mean, 
that's what happens. <laughs> You're trying to finish the season and guys are going to be in contact with one another. So you can, it's almost like one of those things that you can be really good for 20 hours out of the day. But if those next three to four hours you're playing a game, well, as you know, I mean, that that's could that that probably is where guys are are getting, you know, COVID or at least the, the positive tests. So it, it's almost a contradiction. I get what they're doing. And, you know, we don't have to spend too much time on this. I mean, I, I think they're doing everything they can. But the reality is, I think this is just the product of players playing on the ice in a confined space, not doing the things you just said, taking the, the preventative measures to not, you know, come in contact with the virus because that's just how the game is played. Yeah. Uh, the, the next thing I think you're going to see is the rapid test. Like, like the testing yes. that, you know, the league is doing now is the, the more accurate was the PCR test, but it takes 12 to 24 hours to get the results. If you do, if you do both, and we've seen the NBA do that now, right? Like now they're doing both. They're, players are getting the PCR test and a rapid test each day. If that's a way to just prevent massive outbreaks, that's what they got to do. I think we're eventually going to go to that. Uh, the league is going to go to that. I know I've, I've read some of the other reports that they're exploring that option. So that that's that's the way that I think you have to find a way to just stop the, the spread from jumping from team to team. That's the concern here. Um, is for that to happen. So. Uh, hopefully they get it under control and then we do get in a full 56 game season as uh, you know, the lightning have some games coming up after the breaks that they've had to have, had to have through no fault of their own, which will bring up this topic. And we tease it at the top. So I'll let you set it up because you said it, you, you're playing off of something that Matt Larkin from the hockey team sent out. Yeah. And you know, Matt, I think was reacting to, yeah, he was reacting to somebody is it Dmitry Filipovic? So yes. I, I know. I know. I saw the, the tweet from Matt. Yeah, it's it's Dmitry Filipovic. I, I I was just I'm, I think I'm pronouncing his last name correctly. I think he's doing some stuff now for Elite Prospects. Anyways, he said uh, in a tweet, David Pasternak's first three games of the season seemed good. You know, obviously sarcastic there. Five goals, two primary assists. So Matt Larkin commented via retweet, and he said, "Is Pasta a top three player in the world at this point?" I think you can make the case he's number three after McDavid and McKinnon to which, you know, I, I really don't engage <laughs> sometimes on Twitter. I just, I've told you before, I think you open up a, as you know, because you're feisty, you like to get right in there. But as you know, that can open up a can of worms because then I start getting opinions from people. I really don't care who to hear from. <laughs> and that's not a knock on them. It's just who I am. You know, I mean, I, I could really care less how what 25 people were screaming at me about, you know, about whether your opinion is right or wrong. I mean, look, it's nice to be validated, but if people disagree with me, I'm not going to get, you know, sour about it. I, I'm just, you know, so for me, let's put it this way. For me to respond to a tweet, you, you got to get me going a bit. And I simply wrote back headman or point with a question mark, meaning how could you not have one of those players in your top three? And then I, I had um, a couple people respond. Geo Fitz said, or Kucherov. I actually don't think Kucherov's in the top three because I think a lot of times that is designated for offensive players. I think you put McDavid in that category because he's considered the best player in the world, regardless if he has deficiencies defensively. I think because he's so dynamic, he's going to go to the top of the list regardless of any deficiencies he has playing defense. Would you, would you agree with that? 
Yeah, because of the the well and the position that he plays, center center yes. is always going to get a lot more attention than the wingers. Explosive, the dynamic. And, Look, yeah, but they for as good as Kucherov is, so wingers do. Yes, for for as good as Kucherov is, if you can believe it, Connor McDavid, I think is. I don't want to say head and shoulders better than him, but I, I think there is actually a pretty sizable gap. And look, people may disagree with me on that, and that's fine. That's just my my opinion. But I I don't understand how you can't have either Point or Victor Hedman in this conversation for top three. And minus the goaltending, obviously. I, you've heard me say this the last couple of years. I think Braden Point's is their best forward. I've actually taken a step further and have said beyond Vasilevsky, I actually think he's their best player. And I felt a little bit vindicated based off of what happened last year in the playoffs, particularly in the Stanley Cup Finals. When Point didn't play, they lost. When he did play, they won. I mean, he just, they couldn't contain him. But I think there is a strong case to be made, the way Victor Hedman is playing to start the year and what he did in the playoffs last year, that he is the best defenseman by far in the game today. And where that has him ranked when you start talking about forwards, I think is a very interesting conversation. In other words, if you were to tell me, Greg, Victor Hedman is one of the top three players in the game today, I would not disagree with you. And I was a little surprised, maybe I shouldn't be, that Victor Hedman... Yeah, and well, you know, too, and let's, let's face it, there's a Canadian bias there, and I'm just surprised we're overlooking how dominant Hedman is and has been, and even Braden Point to a lesser extent. I don't think he's had the dynamic start to the year yet, but I think he certainly has made the case that he is a top 10 player in his own right. But where do you stand on that? Because I feel like, and I've had this conversation with Brian Engblom a lot, and I know you have too, Hedman gained a lot of confidence last year in the playoffs and winning the con Smythe was a big deal and he's shooting more this year. I know that's something he wanted to do because Dave Michigan tells the story with what Victor Hedman wanted to do in the off season, did a little soul searching, wanted to be more of a shooter and he's got such a big shot. He plays so many minutes. Yep. There's a confidence in him that I don't even know we saw last year. <laughs> I, I just uh, look, you, you know him as well as I do and, and probably better. Is there a better player right now in the national hockey league than Victor Hedman? No, no, uh, maybe McDavid. They just look at some of the goals he scored early in the season are just ridiculous. Yeah, he's the, he's dynamic. Yeah, he's player should not, you know, no human should be able to do some of the things that Connor McDavid does, and he does it with such ease. But, uh, you know, I, I would argue that Victor Hedman's number two on that list. I would give him a nod over Nathan McKinnon because, you know, you want to, I just mentioned how centers can control a game. Yeah. Nobody controls a game like Victor Hedman. Nobody. And, and the manner in which he plays the game and the manner and the, and the amount of ice that he can uh, cover uh, in such a short period of time because of his stride and the way that he can skate. And, you know, yeah. you know, chief Bobby, the chief Taylor always talks about the ease of a stride. And it, it's a, it's really a signature of a lot of Swedish skaters. They just glide over the ice. They don't skate. They literally, they glide over the ice. And at his he really does. at six foot six, the way that he can control the game uh, and he puts up the offensive numbers to boot. The, yeah. the fact that Victor Hedman has only won one Norris trophy is it's, it's my, well, that's just yeah, that, that's just, there's, there's good dumb. defensemen in this league. Don't get me wrong, but there's no defenseman better in this game right now than Victor. Hedman. Not right now. And, you know, even watching Roman Yossi the other night, you know, we usually only get to see Yossi once, maybe twice a year, 
you know, watching him in back-to-back games, boy, he does. He loved to get up the ice. He is leading the rush all the time. And he is the epitome of a modern defenseman playing that way, but he doesn't defend the way Victor Hedman does. He doesn't get back and cover his own end the way Victor Hedman does. I I would put Victor Hedman number two on that list behind Connor McDavid. I think he's that good. And he has taken, I didn't think it was possible, but he has taken another step. And I think he's just going to have a monster year. And, and maybe the biggest compliment to Victor Hedman's skill set is that he basically made Jan Ruta into a top six defenseman. <laughs> <laughs> now maybe, you know, Ruta's not playing like it before the injury last year, but I mean, he was playing with Victor Hedman and people were like, well, this is John Ruta's playing really well. Yeah, he's also playing with Victor Hedman. And I understand that's not easy, but you'd rather play with Victor Hedman than somebody else who's your seventh or eighth defenseman. Yeah. And he's made some guys look good. And look, you would agree. I mean, when he came into the league, and I think up until you know a couple of years ago, I mean, he was a really good defenseman. He was prone to the turnovers, and you wanted to see a little bit more consistency in his game. But boy, when that started to click for him, and again, I, I go back to the playoffs. He was dominant. And to be dominant on the back end, the way he skates and the way he shoots, and again, the way he takes basically any partner with him, and it, it doesn't matter. Uh, those lists, in some ways, they're silly to debate because it's just one man's opinion. Sports talk radio. Uh, but, a lot of times, but a lot of times it's good for discussion. You know, yeah. when you're sitting at a bar, you want to talk, or you're doing a podcast like we are, and you want to just kind of get the pulse of the league and who's playing well. And we don't see every player. We see highlights. I mean, look, Connor McDavid, he's going to be at the top of the list for the next 10 years, A, because of the hype, and B, because he's a dominant player. I actually thought you probably could have made a case that Leon Dreisaitl was in the top three because he's putting up a lot of points as one. For for many years, it was Sidney Crosby, and rightfully so. I, I understand that. And defensemen probably don't get the credit they deserve compared to forwards. I'm not saying anything new, but I think if you're watching the games like we are, I mean, Victor Hedman stands out and he stands out on a team that has a lot of stars. I think that's hard to do. So top three players in the league right now, if you told me Victor Hedman was in that top three, I wouldn't disagree with you. If you told me Braden Point was in the top three at this point, yeah, I, 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 I'm sure there's some guys there that are having better starts of the year, but I, I wouldn't disagree with that either. Well, certainly his playoffs last year um, he was dominant. Made him big time dominant major. And, you know, look, he was he was helped by Nikita Kucherov, but, you know, Nikita Kucherov was also helped by Braden Point. So absolutely, uh, it was a very uh, symbiotic relationship that those two had on the ice. I, I'm not ready to say Braden Point is a top five player in this league. Um, but the fact that we're having this conversation tells you how quickly he has risen the ranks uh, in the league's eyes. Right. Not just here in Tampa where we get to watch him on a nightly basis, but the league league as well. I mean, he was absolutely in the conversation for the con Smythe. I mean, you could have chosen any one of three players. Yeah. Con Smythe last year for Tampa Bay and you wouldn't have been wrong on any of them. I just think the fact that Victor Hedman did something that only two other defensemen had done previously in the playoffs uh, put him over the top. But all three of those guys, Kucherov, Point and Hedman were all worthy of the con Smythe. Uh, and but I think Braden Point opened a lot of people's eyes. They didn't, didn't really know how good of a player he was until that breakout. You know what's interesting, and we don't want to think about this, but look, injuries do happen, and you just you, you kind of ask yourself the question: Okay, Victor Hedman goes down or is out for an extended period of time, what's their team look like? And it's I, I know you've written about this. We've talked about this a number of times. I think the way Ryan McDonough is playing. And the way that back end is playing, certainly you're you're gonna feel it. 
But McDonough's playing at such a high level. Can you get by a few weeks if that were the case? You know, if Brandon points out of that lineup, even though Steven Stamkos is playing really well and you would have theoretically Kucherov, you know, in a normal year playing, I do think they would miss him a great deal because I think his speed just creates so many mismatches and so many problems out there. Like, I don't know if Sorelli's ready for that role yet. You know, if something were to happen. I think actually Stamkos, to his credit... I don't think we anticipated him playing this well. And I'm curious to see if this can continue because he's been phenomenal. And maybe that would offset any type of injury to a player like Point if that were to happen. But I still think if a guy like Point goes down in a weird way, that may affect them a bit more because I, I just think he's the engine that gets that line going, you know, with his speed and his playmaking. And he's smart. You know, he's smart with the puck. But I could be wrong. I, I could be wrong. I just, I, it's probably more of a, a tribute and credit to uh, Ryan McDonough with the way he's playing because he's, he's been lights out in addition to great. Victor Hedman back there. I mean, I, I, this is Ryan McDonough we saw with the Rangers. Well, it's the McDonough we saw two years ago because remember yeah. when Victor Hedman did miss some time. I think Victor missed because he missed the All Star game. He did. He, he, he participated, but he didn't play. Uh, he missed a, a couple of weeks and McDonough was just, he was lights out. I think he, he was 13 goals that year. Uh, phenomenal. Like I remember asking you the question at the time. Victor Hedman's their best defenseman. Is Ryan McDonough their best defensive defenseman? And I think the way Hedman's playing, you could probably make the case he's both. Yeah. But I think Ryan McDonough, again, on most teams, probably would be your number one defenseman. Yeah, he would be. Uh, he would be. Uh, you know, I, I, I watched I watch McDonough play this year and uh, in camp. I uh, had an interesting conversation with Brian, uh, Brian Engblom yeah. who said that, you know, and, and because look, McDonough's role here is not the same role he had with the Rangers. Like he was the guy on the back end. Like he was the number one guy in the Rangers. He got penalty kill. He had power play time. Uh, he was asked to join the rush. He was asked to be a part of their offense. You know, he came here and yeah, he put up offensive numbers and certainly we know that this team likes to have their D push the play and, and join the rush and everything like that. But he was asked to take on more of a defensive role, you know, be the penalty killer, be the, the last minute guy, be the guy taking on the top lines every night. And he does that role well. But, but Engblom pointed out that it kind of took some of the joy out of his game. I, I'm not sure what conversations were had or if there were conversations or had. Ryan McDonough looks like the joy in his game has come back. I mean, the goal he scored to put Tampa Bay up 3 nothing in that game against Detroit on Wednesday was a phenomenal goal. You know, and, and look, he started from his own end. He, he started that play with a pass from inside his own blue line up to Blake Coleman, and he just kept going. I'm you know not what sure the last year I'm going to do that. Ryan, we need more from you. Yeah. <laughs> we, need, we need you to be better offensively. We know that's in you. Obviously, I'm paraphrasing. I have no idea what the conversation was. I'm assuming it had something to do with joining the play a bit more, though. And I think the more engaged he is offensively, I think he probably feels like his game overall is a lot better. And it's showing. They've got two number one defensemen on this team. And he, I think it speaks to the bigger point transitioning here to the next topic when we talk about 11 and 7. I used to be a big believer. I think I probably still am that for the most part, 12 and 6, I have no problem with them going with that because I think their forwards depth-wise is as solid as we've seen. But I do know their fourth line isn't as good 
than it was last year. And there are various reasons for that. They've got some younger guys, I think, trying to figure it out. I think the loss of Cedric Paquette probably hurt a little bit more than people anticipated. Not saying that they shouldn't have traded Cedric Paquette. I think that was the right move under the circumstances. But the 11-7, and as long as Luke Shen, A, continues to play this way, and B, is only playing 10 to 12 minutes a night, your fourth line becomes a bit better, a lot better, really, if you're double-shifting Braden Point, Stephen Stamkos, Anthony Sorelli with Pat Maroon and Matthew Joseph. I think that gives John Cooper flexibility. I think it gives him more balance offensively. I think it makes the fourth line a bit dangerous, a bit more dangerous. I mean, Pat Maroon doesn't have any goals this year. I mean, I know he's the playoff guy, but I mean, at some point you want him to start sniping a bit. Joseph, we've seen some areas where he has improved. I think you want to continue to see him improve. And I think one of the ways to do that is play him with more skilled players. And I think double shifting your best players with him gets you there. But I also think it's a credit to Luke Shen because while I don't think he has the foot speed to play 18 to 20 minutes a night, and I don't think the Lightning anticipate him doing that, he does bring a certain thump to the lineup that if you put him in the lineup for eight to 10 minutes a night while still playing Cal foot and letting him develop, that might be the best of both worlds. And that might end up being your best lineup. I don't know if you have strong opinions on that one way or the other, but I kind of like where this 11 and seven is going, assuming it's used in the way I just described it. Uh, I do have strong opinions and I will share with them. But first I want to make sure that everybody knows Valentine's Day is upon us, fellas. Make sure you're ready for wherever the night may take you. Our friends at Manscaped, the global leaders in men's below-the-waist grooming, are here to tell you that you need to use the best tools for the job so you can be ready for anything on that special day. And we say anything on that special day. That's exactly what they're talking It's like this show. You never know where the topic's going to go. No. You know, get that perfect package 3.0 E, full of the best products to keep you looking, smelling, and feeling nice. You know, the cologne now that is is part of what they're bringing, the refined cologne. It's their signature scent. Listen, back in the day, that cologne, if you were a, a 250 hitter, well, you know what I'm talking about, you probably would have been hitting 330. Ted Williams. You probably would have been hitting 330, and you would have been going to some all-star games, and you would be considered all pro, if you know what I mean. Get that cologne. Yeah, the cologne is great. Uh, great products there. And uh, we have a special code code for you. Uh, you get 20% off and free shipping if you use the code BOLTS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping Do it. at manscaped.com. Use the keyword BOLTS. Happy Valentine's Day from Manscaped. All right, the 7 and 11. Uh, we've had this debate over the last couple of years. Uh, I believe last year and the year before, uh, I felt that because of the depth they had at forwards, they were better suited 12 and six. They could go 11 and seven. They certainly utilized the 11 and seven in the playoffs last year at various times uh, to obviously some success. But I, I'm, I'm with you in the, that the way I look at this lineup right now, I think that this lineup right here is better suited for 11 and seven, especially if Alex Volkov is not going to stand out in some way. He's had an opportunity here. He has not yet seized it to this point. He'll get more opportunities, there's no doubt. But if you if you look at the way that, that this D in particular is constructed, if you can, like you say, you don't want Luke Shen playing 18 minutes, and I don't disagree with that in any way, shape, or form. But if you can play Luke Shen 10 and Cal Foot 8, or Cal Foot 10 and Luke Shen 8, that's a good night for me. 
You know, you, you know what you're going to get out of Eric Chernak. You know, you, you know what you're going to get out of Jan Ruta, love him or hate him. He's going to be out there for his 14, 15 minutes, mostly pair alongside Victor Hedman. But then at any point, those other right-handed shot D are going to be paired with a Hedman or a McDonough or a Sergachev. The left side is so strong on this team. I mean, I don't think you can say that there's a team with the better depth on the left side of the D than this Tampa Bay Lightning team. If you can utilize those right shot guys and, and you give Cal foot an opportunity to grow. And like you mentioned, the Luke Shen factor that comes in something they don't have him and Pat Maroon have really helped change some of the identity, how people yeah. view this team. I think that that, at least for the, the short term right now, I think 11 seven is the best way to go. I think we're going to see it uh, for a good period of time here until they feel they need to get Alex Volkov back in the lineup. Yeah. And I think, you know, you're going to see Volkov in the lineup again, and I don't know what type of leash he's going to be on. Uh, I have said this to you and I stand firm. I, I haven't seen anything from Volkov that leads me to believe he's going to be a consistent NHLer to this point. And I, tell the story that he's he's kind of in a in a weird pickle because I think he has top six talent probably needs to play with top six players and he's not getting that opportunity here that's life we've all been in circumstances with our jobs where you feel like you need to be promoted or elevated and maybe you're not it's incumbent upon you to deal with that and be productive if you're only getting seven, eight minutes a night. And we haven't seen that from him. Whether you think that's fair or not, that's the hand he's dealt. And I haven't seen him take advantage of the opportunities he's received since he's been a member of the Tampa Bay Lightning. That may happen eventually. And when they seem, when it seems appropriate for him to be in the lineup, then do it. But I haven't seen it. And until then, this probably gives you the best chance to win games. You know, when Mitchell Stevens gets back, we can evaluate where this team is. Maybe somebody from Syracuse gets an opportunity down the road. Maybe Jamel Smith uh, sees an opportunity and we see him in the lineup here and there. But I think right now, the way things are going, uh, I don't mind it. And I think Luke Shen has deserved it. And until Luke Shen starts playing poorly, I think this is probably the lineup that gives them the best chance to win. And we'll see if that plays out. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, you know, and, and Luke Shen is not an 18-minute NI guy. He just isn't. He's not the same guy that was selected third overall in the 2008 draft, right? Like, he's, um, you know, he is a guy that uh, he is what he is at this point in his career. He understands his role. He knows his role. And if you can uh, pick and choose the minutes you play him, then, you know, especially, like, I look at it this way, too. Okay, if Cal Foote is a top-six guy, we saw this in, in Carolina the one nothing overtime loss like how foot got one shift in the third period. That was it because it's a tight game. Carolina's a fast team. Um, you know, they wanted, they didn't want to put him Cal foot into a, a situation to where, you know, it might overwhelm him too much. So now that's shortened your D now you're down to five D right. So that's another aspect you kind of have to keep in mind there uh, as well as we're talking about this 11 said, it's another advantage of the 11 and seven that they have. Uh, and then if nothing else, and you referenced it, and I've made this point many, many times, you know, you get your, your top guys some extra minutes. You know, Braden Point's going to take two or three extra shifts. Anthony Sorelli's going to take two or three extra shifts. Tyler Johnson gets a few shifts in a center, as he did the other night against Detroit. You know, so you, you keep those guys engaged and active, too, knowing that they're, you know, they're, they can be tapped on the shoulder to go out for their extra shift at any time. You know, so they're going to get a little bit more sure. freedom and some, some extra minutes. and. Uh, that's never a bad thing. The only drawback I ever see with an 11 and seven format 
is if you lose a forward and you drop 10 forwards for the rest of the game. Sure. So we've seen that with Tampa Bay in the past. Uh, to, but to me, that is the only drawback when you go 11 and seven, there, there's a lot of advantages to it and matchups, if nothing else. Yep. And it, that's a real concern. I think you live in the moment you see how you handle it. And you know, the lightning are, aren't as deep on the back end, but I think the way Hedman is playing, the way McDonough's playing, the way they're picking up points on the back end too, you can almost make a case they're just as talented, maybe just not as deep. And um, it'll be interesting to see if they do anything at the trade deadline to address some of that depth, uh, if at all. Because uh, we know the cap crunch, but you also want to have some protection back there if you can. Bjorgman basically is what their eighth defenseman on the yep. taxi squad. And, you know, he may see some games, don't know, but you'd probably like to see him eventually get in the lineup just to say he got into some games, but you know, we'll see how that plays out. But I, I, I kind of like where their back end is right now. And we're probably saying that just because of the way Hedman and McDonough are playing and leading the way. But I think you also have to give credit to guys like Luke Shen who have come in probably one of the more underrated signings in lightning history when you consider what he's given them compared to what the fanfare was when they signed him. I think it's been night and day and uh, you got a lot of value from Luke Shen so far. Yeah. We saw that in the playoffs last year too, right? The, the it's phenomenal. Matt Martin. I mean, that was a, yeah. it was a big yeah. part of that series against the Islanders. He was we were trying to push around the Nikita Kucherov a lot. Heck no. Not on yeah, his so, one. I mean, that's that's why you have him. That's why you have Pat Maroon. That's an element they felt, especially going back to the Capital Series in 2018. They felt they were pushed around in Game Six and Seven. They didn't have a pushback. Now they brought in no a couple doubt. of guys that had some pushback. So I think that's uh, that's huge. And then look, like when you look at Luke Shen, okay, he's this he's brought in to play a role. Like right? he's he's big, he's rugged. The, he has the 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 hits, the fights, whatever that part of his game is. And then I watch him on the second Lightning goal against Detroit the other night. Where was Luke Shen? He was at the left post. That's right. <laughs> he jumped the play. Right. And I mean, it's a great thing about this, this defense that, you know, the, the coaching staff encourages them to jump in the play, join the rush, uh, and they get the benefits of it. I actually have a story on my website already posted about the chaos that they can create for other teams to try and defend. And it's one thing when you know Victor Hedman's going to join the play, but when Luke Shen is the guy jumping up, and, and, and creating some chaos. I mean, it was because of where he was located. It led to that goal, right? Because Victor Hedman found him down low. He tried to stuff it. The puck re uh, rebounds out to Anthony Sorelli. Uh, but that's the great thing about this decor, that they encourage all their defensemen to do it. Now, Luke Chen's not going to be able to cover the same amount of ice going back the other way as a Victor Hedman can or a Ryan McDonough can or a Mikhail Sergachev. But they encourage that. And, you know, that, that keeps them involved in it too. So they're not asked. They're asked to play their role, but they're not they're not asked just to be that role only. They're they're asked to do other things. And yeah, I think that that brings, as we talked about joy in Ryan McDonough's game, I think that brings joy in everybody's game. And it's fun. It's fun to play when you're asked to be aggressive. Well, you know what, too? It, it gives you a little bit of confidence. You know, we don't want you to be a robot out there. We actually want you to be a hockey player. And being a hockey player on the back end means not only doing your job and preventing goals, but you know what? If you can jump on the play, do it. That's part of what we do on this team. And if you can't do it, we'll get somebody else who can. Yep. So I think that it almost forces you to come out of your shell a bit. And I think Lucian understands his limitations. Pick your spots when you can. But I, I think so far, those 10 to 12 minutes he's given you, uh, as good as you're going to get from Lucian and, you know, ride that wave as, as long as possible. Yep. And then, you know, let the chips fall where they may as you get deeper into the season. I think the trade deadline's somewhere in the middle of April. I don't know the date off the top of my head, but um, 
that is something to keep an eye on. I, I still think that they use some depth on the right side uh, and sure. that's an area that they'll address, but that's a conversation for down the road. Um, Greg, as always, man, this was uh, a lot of fun. A great conversation with the hashtag great hockey talk. Uh, make sure that you're subscribing make sure you're rating, reviewing this podcast because it means a lot uh, to us. Support our sponsors. It means a lot to us. Don't forget that promo code bolts at manscaped.com. You get 20% off and free shipping. Uh, important ahead of Valentine's Day here. Love that. Uh, the Lightning get ready to uh, play some important games coming up, which means we've got some important podcasts coming up too. Yep. I look forward to the, you know, these 45 minutes to an hour go by quickly. They do. Good stuff, buddy. Yep. Same to you, uh, Greg. Uh, make sure you catch Greg, of course, uh, noon on Lightning Power Play with Dave Michigan on Power Lunch and then a uh, pregame, postgame, and intermission host on Lightning Radio. Uh, for Greg Linelli, I'm Eric Rollins from LightningInsider.com. Until the next time. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.